welcome to the Simple Sophisticate Podcast, where intelligent living is paired with signature style. I'm your host, Shannon Abels. And whether you're listening on your commute, exercising, working in the garden, or sitting down with a hot cup of tea or a cafe au lait, thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the 157th episode of The Simple Sophisticate. I am very excited to introduce to you today my guest, who I, as I told her in our interview, where have I been? Why have I not known about this jazz band and this woman who is the front woman and so much more, as you're going to find out in our discussion today. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to let you know that for this week's Petit Plaisir, you're not just going to discover one, you're going to discover two. And they come from our guest herself. And they are delightful. Things that everyone can incorporate into their everyday lives to make the everyday all the more pleasurable. I hope you enjoy them. So without further ado, let me introduce you to our guest. And it all began with my love for jazz in France. Anytime those two things are coupled together, my attention is immediately grabbed. And then you add a woman who has followed her passion, appreciates the moment, and lives life to the fullest, all the while staying grounded in this ever-changing, confusing, what-the-heck's-going-on thing we call life sometimes. And I wanted to get to know this person further. Her name is Elizabeth Bergerol. And not only is she the front woman of the Hot Sardines vintage jazz band that is making the old sound new again, but she is also the co-founder with the band leader and the man at the piano, Evan Palazzo. The band's music has been described by the Times of London as simply phenomenal, and their music has reached the number one slot on the iTunes jazz charts in both the United States and worldwide. With songs in both English and French, their first two albums are a must-have on your jazz playlist. You will get to listen to a glimpse of a few of my favorites from both the albums throughout our conversation. Elizabeth joins me on today's episode to talk about jazz and the journey she has been on as the hot sardines have begun to catch many an ear of both fans and critics alike over just a few short years. As well, we discuss passion projects, knowing when to leap, redefining the term stability, and of course, we talk about France, where she was born and raised and regularly visits. The discussion continues into the differences between the French and American cultures and the different approaches regarding daily living and the importance of living in the moment. From food to listening to the voice inside that wants to give something a try that may not align with our perceived self-image to taking advantage of opportunities, even if we don't feel entirely ready to grasp them. Today's conversation is one to take 45 minutes out of your day and simply enjoy. I have a feeling if you're like me, you'll walk away with at least one, if not many, thoughts to ponder and apply to your life. I hope you enjoy my interview with Elizabeth Bergerol. My guest today is a Parisian-born musician with Toronto lineage and a penchant for being a true New Yorker who exemplifies the music she creates, both glamorous and gritty, playful and passionate, unexpected and precisely what new and seasoned jazz lovers have been looking for. As the creative director, founding co-member and frontwoman for the Hot Sardines, who have been described by The Guardian as the charismatic frontrunners of vintage jazz and by Forbes as one of the best jazz bands in New York City, Elizabeth Bougerol, thank you for joining Joining us here on the Simple Sophisticate. Thank you for having me, Shannon. <laughs> My pleasure to just meet finally, as we were talking just before we set up here. I don't know yeah. why I didn't come across your band and yourself earlier. This is oh man, uh, that's so sweet. Um, I, I'm I'm honored uh, to, to I, I'm honored because I definitely am not a sophisticate. So thanks for letting me upgrade on your podcast today. I'm definitely simple though. I'm just not a sophisticate. <laughs> I think you give off a sophisticate vibe all your own. I, I have a few questions about with regards to all sorts of style and just your approach to life that just is inspiring. But I want to make sure that the listeners who may not know your band know the story of how you and Evan Palazzo, who is also the co-founder of the band The Hot Sardines, met. Now, you guys cr created the band 10 years ago, correct? 
I mean, we met 10 years ago and we started messing around. Neither of us was a professional musician. Uh, when we met, we met at a jazz jam that was advertised on Craigslist. Um, and, it, uh, a, you know, a jam is where strangers show up in a room and kind of jam out together. In this case, it wasn't a public gig. It was just like, come by this rehearsal studio and let's all play some traditional jazz. And, you know, people call traditional jazz uh, stuff that, you know, that, that most people know as like Louis Armstrong, Billie Holiday, the very early stuff, the, or the beginnings of jazz. Um, and that was stuff I'd always grown up listening to and sang in the shower, stuff Evan had always grown up listening to, and he taught himself to play piano. And there just wasn't a lot of that to go and be heard publicly. And he and I each kind of were at a, a, a place in our lives where we each were doing other, we had careers. You know, I was a, I was a travel editor for the web and he was, uh, he was uh, working as an actor and but each of us just really loved this music so much and kind of just wanted to find one other person to to mess around with that music with. And we met at this jazz jam um, and he caught my my eye or I guess he caught my ear because his playing was so soulful and really reminded me of some of my favorite recordings from the 30s. Um, and I went up to him afterwards and, and asked him if he knew a particular song that was kind of my litmus test for, for this stuff. And, uh, and he just started playing it. And, and, uh, that song is your feet's too big by Fats Waller, one of the great, great early jazz musicians. And we just started talking and we started discovering how much we had in common in terms of our tastes, in terms of our love for not just the music, but what we think this music does for people and we start getting re it starts sounding a little spiritual. When we get into it, but it's like this music is really connecting. People really connect with this music. They connect over this music. It's fun to go and hear people play horns and piano live. We have a tap dancer. You know, there's uh, lyrics are important because lyrics were important in the 20s and 30s and 40s and stuff. So that's really how the band came about. Well, and it's, it's very serendipitous is what I like about the story. It's authentic. It's you're doing what you love. He was doing what he loved and it just, it worked. And I think it's a testament to just continuing to do what you love, taking those chances, keep stepping out that you never know what's going to cross your path and look what you guys have been building. It's absolutely inspiring. It's really true. I mean, we, we, like I said, we met and we started kind of messing around and we went to a couple of open mics after, you know, I don't know, like a year or whatever. The band itself didn't really kind of, we didn't really start a band until probably seven years ago um, after we'd been playing around a bunch and sort of adding musicians. But the fact is, is that we, it, we really were leading with what was, what we found fun, what was turning us on musically, you know, stuff we wanted to try and tackle. And, and I think we kind of at some point turned around and we had a little jazz band um, without really, without really meaning to. Um, it was just so fun to have an excuse to get steeped in this music and think about it and think, what could we do with this song that's been covered a million times that we feel, you know, why has this song been covered a million times? And there's something fresh we could bring to it. And what is the magic of, you know, uh, what is the magic of, of, uh, Ella Fitzgerald's presence and just getting to, you know, that kind of that moment, I think anyone who's had a passion project has a moment where they give themselves permission to just bask in it to just dive off that diving board and go f whole hog. And sometimes that can be hard to give yourself that permission, especially when you have, you know, bills to pay, or maybe you went to school for something else, or maybe you have a family, but I don't think it's ever, uh, I, I think, I think that there's, there's that moment. If you can bring that moment into existence and then jump into it. And so we both kind of were able to jump into that together and, it really snowballed. It got a lot of momentum very fast once we once we both realized, okay, there's some momentum here. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, because you guys went, what was it? I was looking up. You guys have been to Lincoln Center. One of the instances where you were invited to Lincoln Center, and that was one of the catalysts to just opening the audience to, okay, who are these guys? If I'm not mistaken, that that happened yeah. in 2011, yeah. 2012. Yeah. So yeah. So so for for people who for your listeners who who haven't been to Lincoln Center, it's really you know it's one of the great musical institutions, and we've been playing around like at underground parties and bars and restaurants and stuff, and you know in the subway and. Um, 
And uh, we applied blindly uh, through an email of a friend of a friend who said, hey, I know someone who's looking for a band for Bastille Day to play on July 14th. So they need to be, you know, have a little jazz swing vibe and at the same time do some French material. And without really thinking much about it, I said, hey, well, he, you know, we do we do French material because we like to mix that in. And the email you know, came in a, a bunch of hours later saying it's it's Midsummer Night Swing at Lincoln Center and you got the gig. That's amazing. And I remember getting up and stepping away from my computer like it was on fire. I just was in my in my in my bedroom just just oh my god, oh my god. And it was great because and I think this is another important piece for anyone who's trying to get a passion project off the ground. There was no way we were prepared to do that gig. Not even slightly were we prepared to do that gig, but it gave us a reason to get that good. You know, it's like, it's like a shoe that's, you know, while your feet are still growing, it's like, just like a size too, too big for you. And you're just going to grow into it. So we worked really hard and we did it and we had, you know, 6,000 people that day. Um, and it was an absolutely incredible experience. And I think that really galvanized us in terms of because you have to realize when when we met, you know, I was looking for one other person who knew this music because I'd always grown up listening to it. My mom played it for me and I love this music. But like, you don't, you're not popular at school by saying, hey, I love Billie Holiday. Like that was not I was like I was in a world of my own creation in my head and I listened to this stuff and I was looking for people. Hence Craigslist. I was looking for people who were into that same music. And so Evan and I went out into the world. We were like, I think I think probably more people want to hear this, but we're not sure because there wasn't a ton of it being played live. So to have a lot of people show up and really dig into what what we were doing, you know, certainly a testament to how Lincoln Center programs their talent. But it showed us like, okay, there's there's there are people for whom this music does something. They're interested in it. And yeah, I think yeah. that's my question. You mentioned earlier, um, knowing when to leap. You you have mentioned that you were a corporate dweller by day and a music oh, dweller yes. by night. So true. When did you, first of all, how'd you balance that? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that have a passion project that you just said, but they're maybe not sure how to do deal with it or, or balance it. But they also don't know, as you have already done now, I believe, leap entirely into it. Yeah. When did you, how'd you balance it? And how did you know I'm leaping, I'm going, what was it? Um, how did I balance it? I mean, uh, I, it's, it just started with listening, you know, I would go to my job by day in midtown Manhattan and then more or less inevitably I would go out and listen to music somewhere at night. And I, I, uh, I saw people working on their craft. I saw people who were, uh, just loved the music and, and were working on it. And, and that was inspiring. It was just inspiring to see that. And I, I really began living for going to hear live music, which was, uh, which was really, really wonderful. I would, you know, go to my job and then I felt like I had this dirty little secret once I started playing, um, I really felt like I had this, no one at my job knew this. No one at my job knew that I even sang. So, um, so it was really, it was really fun. I would, you know, go into meetings and I, I, then I would escape and go and do the, do the, go and do a gig. And, um, in terms of knowing when to leap, does anyone know when to leap? That's my, did you know when to leap? I mean, do you, will you know when to leap? How did you know? I'm asking you that question. So I know, but (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. But I'm not I alone. I think a lot of people I, are in that spot. I know. I, well, the good news is here's here's I think the most useful nugget I can offer is there is no moment, right? So that should reassure anyone listening. There's no the the clouds don't part. A beam of light doesn't shine upon you, uh, and you're like, ah, that's the sign I was waiting for. It's it's uh, so much of it is about instinct. So much of it's about instinct. And I, I, I do think that, you know, when you're, when you have a, an, a life that involves a job and, and perhaps you're in a, a, a more traditional setting, a corporate setting, I think, I think instincts can be hard to listen to. And so one of the hardest things I think to do is to connect or reconnect or with 
the, what you love. I think it's easy to get disconnected from what you love or to think about things as things you love, but maybe they just, they're not what really drives you. I, and this is, this is almost like, I know I'm kind of taking us off on a tangent here, but the idea of what we, what we, what we, what we think makes us happy versus what really switches us on can sometimes be something different. We think, oh, I'm going to go on a trip. That'll make me happy. Oh, I'm going to buy a pair of shoes. That'll make me happy. You know, um, as opposed to it's the, it's the, it's the idea of stoking a little fire from one tiny ember and having it be entirely yours. That is, that is really exciting. So there was never a leap moment for me, but I do know that there were signs along the way. Um, and one of them was when I had, uh, so I was a cubicle dweller. Then I became a freelancer so that I could, uh, do, you know, became a freelance writer. And then I was playing music and I, I remember we started to get booked for private gigs and at a certain point it became so much more work to maintain my old job than to, uh, to pursue my, the music. I started to think of it as going uphill versus sliding downhill. And when it, when it became, I was clearly swimming against the tide doing this thing that I thought was the safe thing to do. Mm, yeah. Uh, and the safe thing became the hardest thing to do. Uh, and, and I think it became obvious that, um, I, if I gave myself permission to try this completely ludicrous career, by the way, Shannon, totally ludicrous career. Um, and that was partly what held me back for a long time as I thought, you know, I have a master's degree. I'm, I, I'm a, I'm someone who, who, you know, pays her bills on time. And that the, the, the idea of going and becoming a jazz musician and then running my own jazz band seems like just about the nuttiest, least, um, stable thing I could do. And of course I was right because stability is, is, is not, it's, it's, you have to take this, the idea of stability and set it aside, but then you have to create your own concept of stability. So I think once I, once I got right with my head about that, I was able to look at it and go, this has momentum. I'm going to give myself two years. I'm going to pursue this for two years, whole hog. And at the end of two years, if this isn't for me, I, can always go back. Well, that's a good way of kind of setting a boundary, but at the same time setting yourself free to to try. And, um, you, part of what I hear in your voice and, and I'm hearing it in the conversation here, as I'm sure listeners are too, is that you do have a unique voice. And when they listen to the music, which we'll listen to here in a second, um, it's it's special it's not like something I've ever heard I, I don't I, I don't listen to a ton of music but I like to say I've listened to a lot of jazz and it is unique and I think that's that's your ticket that's your key but you obviously have that passion and what I thought was interesting I was looking at researching for our interview was that um, a critic commented in a flattering way and said that your voice is from another era but what I mm-hmm. also thought was interesting is you're entirely self-taught is yes that- how did you first of all for know better or worse? <laughs> I think it's definitely for better. <laughs> How did you know that you had a voice? If I'm not mistaken, your grandfather was in music. Did, he was. did he help you find that or did you find it on your own? And how did you further develop it? I wish he had helped me find it. He passed long before I ever sang my first note. Um uh how did I find it? How did I know? I, I don't think I did. I don't think I ever went into wanting to do singing because I, first of all, I never thought I want to be a singer. I just wanted to, when I would go hear this kind of jazz live, I would, something would get lit up inside of me. And I just craved that. It was a, it was a, it was a feeling of connection. It was a feeling of everything being all right in the world. It was the connection in the room between the musicians on stage, between the musicians and the, and the people in the audience. And I just craved that. And I, and I had been singing in the shower my whole life. I did the, the requisite high school musical. Um, uh, and this was, that was what, you know, that was my way to access this. So I never thought, okay, I'm really going to develop and hone 
this particular voice or anything. It really was kind of like, oh yeah, it would be fun to find someone or a couple people to for me to sing and they can play and we'll tackle some songs. So it, it was never terribly there was no plan is what I'm saying. There was never any kind of grand master plan. I loved singing. I loved connecting with this music and I had, uh, and I, and I, I, I sang and that was my way of connecting with it. Um, so it wasn't terribly premeditated in terms of being self-taught. I think I, uh, in the way that anyone who has a hobby, it's more fun to do a hobby when you're better at it. So I, so I taught myself and I, I, I honed, you know, what I thought was the sound my voice makes. That's one of the things I love about singers is that everyone has a unique tone and you're talking about an action, an instrument that is, you know, flesh and bone. It's, it's such a cool idea to me. Not that a horn or a piano isn't also an amazing instrument. Of course it is. And everyone has a unique tone on those instruments, but I have a soft spot for singers because you're creating something out of out of a person. You're creating a sound out of a person. That's um, unique. That's true. That's a good way of looking yeah. at it. Yeah. Didn't think about it. So I just listened obsessed. I mean, I listened to so much music growing up. I listened to so much of this music and not just singers, but you know, just this, this music in general, big bands, small orchestras, uh, trios, anything I could get my hands on. Um, and I just, listening made me want to listen more and listening to the timber of people's voices made me pay attention to, you know, that's that. So I didn't follow a traditional course of study, but I have a lot of, I have a lot of studying of all this stuff under my belt. And I always loved it. it that, that passion never waned. So yeah, that's the fuel right there is that passion just to keep exploring and, and, and seeking things out, being curious about what you're, you're interested in. I, um, I think we've teased our listeners long enough. They want to hear you sing. So I'm, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to play a short clip from the title track of your most recent CD and I won't give away the title. I'll let them hear it. And then I want to talk about the title on the other side. Here is a clip. Yesterday was easy, breezing through the years. No cares and no fears. You and I, the world are briny oysters. Let's not get sentimental. We'll tango through the tears. So cheers, time for french fries and champagne. All right. The title of that song, as they probably figured out, is French Fries and Champagne. But that is the title of your most recent album, which was released yeah. just last June. And so right. I'm curious, I, I could you share with us where that title came from? I love the juxtaposition of these two items. You like that? I mean, because what could be tastier, first of all, right? Sign me up. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, French Fries and Champagne. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a state of mind. The song is about the end of a, the song is both about the end of a, of a, of a love affair, but also about the end of something bigger. Um, and what we, uh, where the idea for the song came from, and Evan and I wrote the song, where the idea for the song came from was that as we played and to more, and as we, as we started touring, we started touring after we, um, our first record came out after we signed with the Universal label, and um, and we just saw that everywhere we went, there were we we just had such great experiences, and people seemed to crave just a, a night of big, uh, a, a night of music, a night of of putting aside their troubles because, and this is even more true now. It just feels like the world is in a bit of a dark place, and. The idea of French fries and champagne and where the lyrics go is, you know, it's everything is is going to hell in a handbasket. So let's have a party. And, you know, uh, when a lot of the songs that we uh, are are that we've we've we, we listen to from from the the the, thir- the 20s and 30s, a lot of the themes are tied in with the Great Depression and the idea of people setting aside their troubles and going out and having an, having a glamorous, wonderful, warm evening where they connect with other dancers and they're listening to the band and so on. That's come back around 
it, it really feels like it has. There's as as connected as we're all supposed to be these days with everything digital. I think that one of the great one of the great plagues of our time is loneliness. I think people are really lonely. I think the world is a scary place. And um, and so this song is about getting together with people you love and have just having a party and enjoying the simple pleasures. You know, a glass of champagne, not that champagne is that simple, but, you know, a glass of something a little boozy and warm that puts, you know, a little rosy hue in your cheeks and something decadent like a French fry. It's just it's just about taking that moment of pleasure because you don't know what tomorrow brings. I was going to say that celebratory appreciation of the moment. I think that champagne, that little touch of luxury to appreciate the now. And you get a lot of that from, you know, people like Cole Porter, uh, who is one of my favorite composers. There's a lot of, you know, let's let's get dressed up and have a lovely evening because my gosh, everything's uncertain. You know, there's, there's, when, when you can't plan for tomorrow, things get really hedonistic really fast. That's, true. That's <laughs> a good point. That's a good point. And even, you know, good times as well. Why not sit in the moment and savor it? Because yeah. that's really all no, we have. That's really all I we have. I totally agree. And I think honestly, my growing up French, my French side has a lot more facility. I mean, that's, that's, totally intuitive to me. I've observed that it's not so intuitive since I've lived in the U S to people there. There, I love the, I, I, I love America and it's, but it's definitely a slightly different approach to how people experience their time. I would agree I, I, with regards to that. You said you're French at heart and I, I, when you say about America being a little different, I'm assuming, and I could be wrong, correct me that we're more, we look in the future, we plan for tomorrow. Whereas the French are more in the moment. I could be wrong about that. But what did you said before? I'm French at heart. Cause you were born in France. What do you mean by that? That's right. Well, for, I, I, French, I was born in France and my dad is from France. My mother is from Toronto. So I have, uh, the French side, the Canadian side, and now I'm married to an American. Um, the, uh, and I grew up, I, I spent most of my formative years growing up in France, went to high school there and so on. Um, when I say French at heart, this is kind of what I'm talking about. The idea of, um, I think my values are French. I think my approach to living is certainly more French than it is American. Although I, I think I'm, I think, I think I love I think I practice a French way of life while deriving it with an American work ethic at this point or a New Yorker work ethic combination of those two. Um, and, uh, but I think that in terms of enjoying savoring the moment, that's something that is, you don't hear people talk about it in France because it's, it just is. It just is. Okay. Yeah, it really is it, it, because how could it be otherwise really is it the, is it the, the, the driving thought behind it? That's okay common sense, but often overlooked, definitely often overlooked. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that the, 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 in the individualism in the U S and the drive to create things and push things and everything. I love all that. It's one of the things that drew me here. I don't know that I would have started a jazz band had I stayed in France. Um, you know, the, I love the entrepreneurial spirit so much here. I think it's, it's at the, at the root of so many amazing things going on today, but there's not a lot of room in there for, taking time for yourself because you could always be doing more to drive yourself further, to, to reach higher. And so if you're choosing between having a glass of champagne versus answering some emails, <laughs> the American you know, that, is going to sit at the computer <laughs> and the Frenchman is going to go out to the cafe and have a conversation. Kind of, I mean, kind of. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. I'm yeah. always battling that. I'm always battling that is the thing is that is, is, and it's a good battle, I think, because yeah. it's, it drives each side, gets its, gets its due. And like, I think everyone these days is doing, there's a, it's not so much a balancing act as it is a constant overcorrecting in one way or the other. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, you mentioned, we're talking about France and Paris. So I want to take, um, the listeners to a song that you first wrote and debuted at the Boston pops called Mm -hmm. wake up in Paris. And what really quickly for the listeners, you guys, as you've mentioned, you write some of your songs and then you do renditions of well-known classics. And this was one of the ones you wrote and um, the Boston Globe loved it when it debuted. And I love it. And I I want to first know where is I'll I'll share a clip in a second. But where was the inspiration? Where did it come from for the song? Because one of the lines is I want to wake up in Paris with you. 
And I'm just curious where that inspiration comes from and how long does it take you to write a song? Because <laughs> I'm, yeah, as a songwriter, what's the process? I'll tell you exactly how that song came to me. I was having a, um, I was having a day, you know, everyone has a day where you're like, wow, I cannot wait for this day to be over. So I can start again with a fresh blank, you know, sheet of paper tomorrow. And I got on the subway in New York City at rush hour, which anyone who's done that or has done anything at rush hour after having a full day where the universe is testing every last nerve, I got in there and got kind of jostled around and I was just, I was just missing home. I was missing Paris and I miss home a lot. Um, uh, but, uh, I just was missing it in a particular way. And when the New York subway doors close, they make this bing bong sound, this, this dong dong so that you don't get your, you know, your, your leg or your, or your booty caught in the, caught in the doors before they close. And those are the first two notes of the song. Oh, that's true. Because I was just thinking how much I wish I could, how much I wanted to wish myself over there. Um, just for a, just for a respite, you know, I think everyone has fantasized about the teleporter so that you can whisk yourself away to some place without going through the rigmarole of buying a ticket and taking time off work and <laughs> getting on a plane. Um, I just wanted to wish myself away. And I did for the duration of that subway ride. And honestly, by the time I got to my stop, the song was written. Really? Yeah. Yeah, with a couple of tweaks later, but the song was the song was written complete with lyrics and the whole thing, um, and it uh, and yeah, we debuted it with uh, with uh, I think eighty eight uh, musicians in the the orchestra with the Boston Pops, which was very nerve wracking um, as an experience, but utterly uh, just one of the highlights of my life, honestly. I was going to say it definitely again caught the attention of a lot of people. Well, it's a very, it's a very personal song. And I think that anyone doing anything, anyone creating something that they care about, you know, you're you, people, people know when you're, when you're sharing a little, little tiny piece of yourself. I think that's a little unmistakable. And this is definitely me sharing a little piece. Well, let's let them hear that. Beginning with the two notes you just talked about from the subway. I was, I was going to actually play it from a different part of the song, but as soon as you said that, I went back. I was like, nope, we're starting from the beginning. So here go, listeners. Here's okay. a clip from Wake Up in Paris. I want to the city greets the day I want to wake up in Paris and watch the sunrise on the cave the magic of a bridge above the Seine is rare and as she it seems she knows we're there. All right. As uh, I heard it, I, as soon as you, you said heard it, it, right? I heard it, yes. And you got out of the way of those doors, <laughs> didn't you? I got out of the way of the doors. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful song. Thank you for sharing the story of it. And that it happened that quickly, you could create it. If nothing else, that's a reminder how powerful inspiration can be. Yeah, I think that it's, uh, I, I, I don't think that anyone should, uh, I think there's a bit of a fallacy around, well, if it's, if it's, if it takes too long or if it's too hard to get your brain around something, maybe it's not the right thing. It's not, I don't, I don't think that something has to come immediately to be right, but this was one of those times. There have been other times where I've written a song and I keep coming back to it and then I got to drop it again because I'm like, this is just not gelling. And I, and I have to circle back around to it. So there's, there's no, there's no grand. It, on the best days though, it feels like I just need to get my iPhone out quickly enough to sing the melody I have in my head into the voice memo app so I can just get it down on paper and you really feel like, and you, you know, you read about writers uh, and, and, and other uh, people doing sort of creative stuff that they, it feels like they're just channeling something from some, from somewhere else that they just have to get it down on paper. 
or into a, yeah. And that was one of those times. It was a it was nice, it was a fun song to write and a fun song to record too. I love those strings. Well, I, yeah, if nothing else, it's, it's a lesson just to listen and respond to when we hear or something within us, listen to that voice and to not ignore it because it might just be giving us oh, wake up in Paris <laughs> in this case. <laughs> you guys, it seems like things are really starting to come together for you guys and, and you're doing what you love. And, and I, we kind of, You've kind of shared some advice um, to those of us who want to pursue a passion, but maybe are a little tentative. What advice would you give to someone to take the risk or to make a change to pursue that passion that may be tickling their curiosities or their fancy? What's one piece of advice that you could give someone? That's a very, very big question that has so many multi-layered answers. So I'm just going to pick one that I think applies to people when they don't know what kind of space to give to something that's sort of kicking around their mind. I would say if, if it keeps coming back to you again and again, if it becomes a little nagging voice, I think you, I think you owe it to your future self to give it the time and space, give yourself the time and space to pursue it because those kinds of nagging voices and instincts, they don't, they don't just go away if you wait long enough, you know, they don't, that, that's, that's not how that works. You have to, they only go away if you, if you invite them in, really engage with them. And then they either go away and you can go back to your world before you pursued that. And when I say go back, I don't mean quit your, quit your job, go do your thing. I mean, like, you know, take a class. Uh, and then once you finish that class, if you think, oh, I'm just getting started, then, then now, you know, and you've probably also ripped the seal off this idea of yourself. You know, so many times it's not about, it's not about, uh, can I pursue this? It's about, uh, am I this person? There's so much wrapped up in self image, right? Of, well, maybe I'm not for me, it was, maybe I'm not the kind of person who, you know, uh, quits, uh, a well-paying job to go buy a washboard and start a jazz band. I thought that that was, I thought that was crazy pants, you know, with a capital C. And, um, I think that that so much of that is about permission, giving yourself permission, but, uh, taking the first step is important. And if you can make that first step really tiny, there's no risk. There you go. Keep it small. It's a greater risk to not do it, honestly, because you're always going to kick yourself. And as you said, the voice will always be there until you listen to it and respond. I know. It really, it really is true. I don't think there's any time for it either. I think it's just you have to, you owe it to yourself to do it. Yeah, that's a good point. I, um, I have a lot of listeners who are Francophiles and you live part-time in Paris Correct. I, I, I don't, I, I, I split my time between Brooklyn where I live. And then when I go back to France, uh, these days I go to Normandy. All of my family is there. They're near Pont l'Evêque, not far from Honfleur near the coast. Um, it's really beautiful. Lots of cheese and butter. Um, a lot of rain, a lot of apple trees, apple brandy. It's a beautiful part of the country. Sounds beautiful. Well, if mm. there's any place that you would recommend travelers visiting, what would be one place you would recommend to them checking out? That maybe it's not in the tourist book. I, there's so. I mean, there. Geez, there's so many, so many incredible places uh, that I love to visit in France. But I think that a place that maybe, or rather, I don't. I don't hear much about from this side of the Atlantic, uh, is just the part of Brittany near a town called Cancale, C-A-N-C-A-L-E. It's just a really, it's just a really pretty part of the Brittany coast. And it's just like a bunch of towns, sort of resort towns. And there are some, you know, uh, beautiful art deco, old art deco hotels dotting the coast along there. And it's just, it's a pretty, it's a, it's, it's a lovely chill seaside getaway place. Uh, it's about, I'd say a four hour drive from Paris. Okay. All right. I have a one more question. Okay. Having to do with simple pleasures. Mm-hmm. I, that's how we usually end um, my podcast every week is to share a simple pleasure that I've enjoyed. But this time I would like you to share with us a simple pleasure, um, whether you're in Brooklyn or France, um, or <laughs> maybe even when you're on the road, what is a favorite simple everyday pleasure that you enjoy? This is a two part answer. Uh, Cause then you said on the road and I was like, aha, I have a, uh, 
I have a little, uh, I have an herb garden in my windowsill here in Brooklyn. I, I don't cook so much as I, I do. I mean, I do cook, but I think a lot of, I think there's a little misconception about French people all getting home with bags and bags and bags of ingredients and like whipping up coco vin after work. This does not happen. Does not happen. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but I think one of the things that uh, I'm so glad I I grew up with uh, as a French person is the idea of getting simple ingredients, not doing too much with them, and then chopping fresh herbs onto them. Um, that's how I've always cooked, and that's how I always eat. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's like four pots. It's like there's some oregano and some cilantro and basil and it's just great. And then, and then you said on the road. And so I thought of the second thing, this is very important. This is very important and very key to my well-being. Good salt. Oh, I travel with some flaky salt. I was going to say, what do you travel with? What does it call? Let us know. <laughs> I, I buy Malden salt, which isn't certainly not a, it's, it, I don't think it's, it's a secret by this point. I think it's been on every food blog, but it's that beautiful, big flaky salt, or I get fleur de sel, which is that, you know, amazing salt that's like harvested on the flats of Camargue at a certain time of day. And it just has a different flavor. And I find that it just makes food tastes more like itself there you go it enhances the already authentic flavor yeah, and it's a pretty simple it's a pretty simple thing but you can do so much in with ingredients if you just have some good salts i have a lot of different salts <laughs> do, do you oh interesting so can we, i'm going to talk about that real quick so what are because yeah. there are a lot more that is becoming more prevalent and more easily yeah. accessible i guess i should say oh yeah what are some of your favorite ones that you use at home when you're cooking um, or when I you're got, eating your, yeah. Yeah. I have, I have kosher salt for cooking and then I have for essentially finishing, right. Is, or I have sea, I use sea salt for cooking too, but I get the La Baleine, uh, salt, uh, sea salt, um, in that big blue tube. That's a classic. I get the Malden salt, which is from England and it's these beautiful, enormous flaky crystals. And then I get the Himalayan pink sea salt. Uh, rather the Himalayan salt, uh, which is really nice. It has a, I think, a little less sodium, but it has a really nice flavor, and it's just pretty. You're, 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 you're flaking little pink crystals onto something. How can you not feel like the world is magical when that's happening? And, um, and then the fleur de sel that I mentioned, which is awesome. And I think people can find. Uh, I think some of these are. I think most of these things are findable if if you're looking. I'm thinking of uh, the American stores I've come across while I'm on tour. You can you can find them if you if you know where to look, or they're certainly all on Amazon. But you know, it doesn't take much to uh, elevate something to 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 a little a slightly a slightly more uh, a little more festive place if you slice open a good tomato and you put some good salt on it and like some fresh herbs. I think that also is conducive to taking a moment. You know, when you're stuffing something into your face from a from a microwaved um, little platter thingy, which, hey, there's a time and a place for that, you know. But uh, when you're doing that, you're not, you don't feel like you're treating yourself well. You're not taking a, you're not just taking a moment. And it's about the smelling of the herbs and all that stuff. And I know that that starts to sound really cheesy, but you know, we're alive now. Smell the, smell the leaves and taste the salt and cut open a nice tomato. That, those fresh herbs and it's just that experience, the appreciation of the simplest, the sim- yeah. simple things that we do often ignore. It's so, it's so true. Cause you're thinking about a thousand things and you're skipping pot, you know, you're like, I know how to make a sandwich. I'm just going to butter this blah, you know, but <laughs> take a moment. The moments are now. The moments are not later. Moments aren't guaranteed. You know? The moments true. the moments are now and I think that I, I think that's something again that is pretty that's pretty much part of the that's part of the French way and I'm lucky I grew up with that because when I hear people talking about presence and being in the moment and all that I I I uh, I don't I I I I highly recommend it but I also know that that's you know, it's interesting that that has to be learned or relearned because I think that I think that once you start taking moments and really focusing on pleasure instead of happiness, because happiness is is kind of a, almost like a verb in my mind. You're 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 constantly working towards a, the self you want to be, but that's hard. And also, some there are days that are sad, and people go through difficult things. On a day when you're going through difficult things, you can still enjoy simple pleasures. 
I agree. I, and I also find that happiness tends to be something that we seek outside of ourselves. Totally. The, the joy is something that's cultivated within. And that's when those little moments of pleasure can be more appreciated. I agree. And then it becomes less about the searching and the seeking, which again, I, I think there, there's a balance. I think that if you're not searching for anything, then, then that's a, I mean, I love, I love a balance between having something to strive for and constantly being curious. And at the same time being present to appreciate the little things that we all work hard to, to keep in our lives, our families and our, our, our mealtimes and all those things are very, that they're key to well-being and they don't have to be expensive. It's such an important point. They don't have to be expensive. That's a very good point to remember that they do not have to be expensive. Speaking of which, uh, many of listeners are listening to this while they're traveling on their Memorial Day weekend. This uh, episode will be airing on Monday, Memorial Day. And nice. um, you guys are touring. Um, so I, so. I will provide a link to all of her music, the hot sardines music um, to listen to on your travels today. And um, you guys oh, are awesome. continuing to tour in New York and uh, up in Vermont. And you guys are going to Hungary and Tokyo, but I want to propose something, Elizabeth. Ooh. Bend, Oregon is yes. a tiny little <laughs> spot in on the West coast, but we have a huge jazz following. I think Diana Krall's coming later this year. We have a bunch of different small jazz bands that also come through here, but we I'm extending it for Bend. I don't know if Bend knows I'm doing this, but I would love to have the hot sardines here in Bend sometime. I love that you're, you're talking about Bend like it's a person. You're like, Bend doesn't know. I'm like, who's Bend? What? Um, I know. I think that's great. Is, uh, is, is, I, you know, I have actually interestingly heard about some of the stuff that goes on in Bend. Is it the River House Jazz or oh, we have something like that? There's a series or something. Oh, yeah, I would yeah, love, to, I would Oxford. love to come. The Oxford has a series. That's right. I, and I have right. enjoyed there you that. go. Either way, yeah. just know you have someone who will be singing your praises and getting the word out even more so. So. <laughs> I am going to keep an ear on that, actually. Uh, that sounds really cool. We're headed to Portland for, uh, I think, to do a, a an event later this month, but we're not swinging into Bend, but I'm going to keep an ear on that. I'm going to keep a, keep an eye and an ear on that because I love it. I love what little time I've spent in the Pacific Northwest. I love. It's, it's so unique. Beautiful. It's Yeah, it's different. We have a lot of different... Um... Natural beauty. I mean, this state has everything you could think of. Oh, um, and you love food out there. Oh my gosh, the foodie you scene love is lovely. Much. Oh yes. The so that also all of these things conspire <laughs> to make a very happy camper. <laughs> oh my yes, goodness! Please. Absolutely. Well, um, thank you for even considering it. I that's just enough right there, Elizabeth. <laughs> thank you so much for stopping by and for bringing back the old music so many of us enjoy. But for those who may not know or understand jazz as well, for making it new with a playful, glamorous twist. Thank you for having me, Shannon. This was a lot of fun. And now for all the show notes, for the album links, for the links to the different types of salt that she talked about, to their tour um, list, as well as where to go in France, as she recommended, it's all in the show notes. Visit the blog, thesimplyluxuriouslife.com backslash podcast 157 and get to know Elizabeth and the band, the Hot Sardines, even more. I share a few of the many playful pics that they share on their Instagram account. And did you know that the band has a song with actor and Broadway Tony winner Alan Cumming on their latest album? That is correct. And you can see a few pics of Alan and Elizabeth on the show notes today. Such an inspiring individual. A reminder that success takes time. Contentment takes time. A reminder to not play it safe all the time, to really listen to yourself and to trust that maybe, maybe the stability that brings us calm is actually something we need to redefine in order to truly reach our full potential. Certainly food for thought. Thank you for listening. Have a beautiful week.
Thank you for tuning in to the Simple Sophisticate podcast, where intelligent living is paired with signature style. For more ideas and inspiration throughout the week, stop by the blog, thesimplyluxuriouslife.com, or pick up the book, Choosing the Simply Luxurious Life, A Modern Woman's Guide. To stay caught up on the most recent podcasts, blog posts, and receive exclusive news as well as an extra dose of inspiration, subscribe to the Simply Luxurious Life's weekly newsletter, which arrives in your inbox each Friday to enjoy with a hot cup of tea or your morning coffee, just in time to jumpstart the weekend. Until next Monday, I'm your host, Shannon Abels. Bonjour.